Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. What I was thinking about when I was preparing this, we're going to talk on... In the Love Is series, Love Is Gracious, It Does Not Demand Its Own Way. I was thinking about while we were in Lebanon, because I don't speak Arabic, and most of the people we saw don't, didn't speak English. That was Pastor Jihad that you saw there uh, speaking on the clip. And, um, and I thought to myself, God, when I can't speak to them and they can't speak to me, how can I express your love? How can I express your love to them? And I can remember in my head, standing there thinking, even my pockets are empty. You know, how can I express my love to these people? Because what have I got left if I haven't got language? I've got the tone of my voice, I've got my body language, and I've got my acts of kindness to express the love of God to people. But if that isn't something that comes naturally to me, if that's not part of my default, if I'm not trying to love people as God loves people, how do I express that expression of love to people? And it's so important not just to be able to preach the gospel, but to be able to live the gospel. You know, one of those people that you probably, one of those people we saw at the beginning, which is probably why it caused emotion in me, was because... She's a young woman, probably only in her late 40s, who's got cancer. And so she's got no chance of being really helped and supported and cured, although she's had some intermittent treatment. And it made me feel incredibly helpless. All we could do was to pray that God would visit her with healing. She had a young son and his wife, and they had a young baby. And she'd been back to Syria to get a wife for him so that he would be cared for um, after she died. And uh, it's just, um, how, how then can we live out the gospel to people? There's so much about us because of our fallen nature that needs to change, isn't there? In all of us, in me, in you, there's so much that needs to change because of our fallen nature. And so often we apply the scriptures and we read the scriptures and we want to change and nothing happens. And we wonder, God, how can we become more like you? You see, God doesn't want us to do what he did until we've become like him. Because when we become like him, it will be a natural outflow of who we are. And sometimes we seek the miraculous or we seek those things that God did without really seeking who he is. And who he is and how he wants us to become more like him. How do we become more like him? How do we change fundamentally and this series has been incredibly challenging um we sung this morning the power of sin is broken um and we also sung by his nail pierced hands we're free how many of us are bound we know the theory of it but actually the reality of it for many people is very different even in the church it's very different And the power of sin is broken, we know that, and yet we still continue to sin. And some of us trapped in a cycle of sin, a cycle of addiction or a cycle of anything that causes us to keep doing the same things over and over again and not be able to break out and step out. And yet we sung this morning, 
you know, um, by his nail-pierced hands we're free. And so what I want to do this morning when we look at this, I want to try and help us to understand how change, how we are as people and how change can occur in us so that actually we can express and we can embrace the love of God. And that does then become our default position. We become more like him to other people. God, um, Corinthians 13, when it talks about love, love is so high on God's agenda. God is love. That's what he is. That's not what he does. That's what he is. God is love. And it's so high on his agenda. And he wants us to be able to express his kind of love. Corinthians 13 talks about the highest kind of love, the kind of love that defines God. But it's the kind of love that actually takes us time to mature into and to develop into. How many of us can say that we love like Corinthians 13? We might have some of it. Some of us might be more patient than others. Some of us might be more kind than others. Some of us might be more long-suffering than others. I know some people who are incredibly long-suffering. And yet, there is so much in that that we don't attain to. And the world has, has taken that word love and has so downgraded it. Now we love ice cream. <clears throat> And we love chocolate. <laughs> and we use that love in, that word love in so many different dimensions. <clears throat> we tell people we love them, but actually are we talking about a feeling? Or are we talking about <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of love that Corinthians 13 talks about? What I want to do today is to just drill down on a few words. Because what has struck me more than anything is that If we don't love people in the way that God is asking us to, how can we? How can we change? How can we be transformed, as it were, into loving people in the way that God wants us to? And so I'm just going to look at a few, just a few words this morning in this context. Um, And in verse 5, but I'll start from 4, because we talked about this last week. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. But then it goes on to say it does not demand its own way and it is not easily provoked. And I just want to focus on those few words this morning. And then I want us to think about how do we move, how do we transition ourselves to being where we are, to where we want to be in loving people. You know, so many of us think that, well, somebody will pray for me and like a magic wand... God will change my heart and change my mind. And it doesn't work like that. In order for us to be transformed and in order for us to change, we need to understand ourselves and we need to understand how God has made us and how things operate. Because so many people say, well, that is just me and this is just the way I am. But it doesn't have to stay like that. We can bring what we have to God and using the word of God and really understanding the word of God, we see transformation happening in ourselves as we apply it. So um, when it says demand its own way, it means self-seeking. And that word in the Greek is the word zeteo. And this word is means, uh, it depicts a person who's determined to get them what they want and they will stop at nothing to get it. It means a person who's so intent on getting their own way that they will seek and search and never give up. 
They will twist the facts, look for loopholes, put words in other people's mouths and try and hold others accountable for promises they never made. And they'll finally end up taking you to court to get what they want. And they'll use all sorts of methods to get their own way. That's what that word means when it says it does not demand its own way. The word is zeteo. And it's Paul has got this kind of person in his mind, a person who will trample over anybody and anything to get what they want at all costs. And sometimes um, this, when this happens, it, it, it turns out and causes um, aggression in situations. Um, we call it manipulation when people try to love us that way. What is manipulation? Well, manipulation is usually a subtle way of scheming. Um, and it can even be friendly or flattering. And that's the problem. Women are very good at doing friendly manipulation. Men are very good at doing flattering manipulation, in my experience. But, and I'm a woman and I don't exclude myself, but we all know how to get what we want. And we can often scheme and manipulate, but not even realising that we're manipulating, because that's our pattern of behaviour. And we've done it all our lives. So how many of you who've got children know that children know how to get what they want. And so it's your responsibility as parents to put boundaries around children. And fortunately, my parents did some of that for me so that they know that they can't always have what they want. But if you grow into adulthood without those boundaries and so expecting to get what you want and have manipulated all your life to get what you want, then that becomes your pattern of behaviour. And you think it's normal, but actually it's not normal. And it's manipulative. And ultimately, it has a name, and that's to have power over another person for your own purposes. And sometimes manipulation is a part of what we do. And we have blind spots. All of us have got blind spots. We don't recognise sometimes what we're doing because we've always done it. And it takes someone else to come along or the truth of the word of God to come along and say, actually, what you're doing is this or what you're doing is that. And people have been brave enough to do that for me in my life. And that's really helped me when somebody's willing to call a spade a spade and not just be a friend who wants to not tell you the truth. And so verse 5 then goes on to say this. It says, oh, so how we could, sorry, how we could rewrite verse 5, if you like, with that word zateo is, love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. So St. Augustine very clearly said this. He said, God being God offends human pride. If God is running the universe and has first claim on our lives, guess who isn't running the universe and, and does not get to have the things that they please? So let's just look at the next um, bit of the verse 5 because it's very closely linked when it says that love is, doesn't provoke. And that word provoke means, uh, is the Greek word, um, paroxuno. Para means to come alongside and oxus means to poke with a sharpened op- uh, object. So what is Paul um, expressing here? Paul is detect- depicting a person who will come alongside another person with a sharp object and keep prodding and keep poking and keep prodding and keep poking with relentless action to create a response 
And the outcome can often be aggressive. So, or every one of us will say, I've had a time in my life when I've been pushed to my limits because someone was provoking me. Now, equally, we have responsibility for our reaction. But, but God says love is not like this. Love is not like this where we keep poking and prodding at each other with a sharpened instrument. That same word, incidentally, is used in Acts 15, 34, when Paul and Barnabas had their falling out. It's that same word, paroxuno. And Paul and Barnabas must have had some falling out. There must have been lots of prodding and poking going on in their relationship because they separated, didn't they? And they went their own way. What is this? This is manipulation. And that word oxus is also the Greek word for vinegar. And so therefore this indicates sharpness or sourness or bitterness. <coughs> and so words of bitterness and leave a sour taste in your mouth, don't they? So what this is describing is a falling out or a provocation that actually leaves a taste of bitterness in your mouth and in your memory. So we could overwrite that scripture as this then. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp, <coughs> excuse me, they cause an ugly or an aggressive response. This is what, not what um, Paul is describing here in Corinthians as love. So if we're going to develop a love that does not demand its own way, um, we have to ask ourselves the question, why do we want our own way? Why do we want our own way? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. (coughs) That is our objective, not to be served, but to serve others. And Daniel Goldman um, has written a lot about social intelligence and emotional intelligence, which is, makes interesting reading for those who are interested in that kind of subject. But he says this, when we focus on ourselves, our world contracts as our problems and preoccupations loom large. But when we focus on others, our world expands. Our own problems drift into the periphery of our mind and so seem smaller, and that increases our capacity for connection. So in other words, when I'm focused on myself, in my world, I'm this big and you're this big. But if I focus on you in my world, you will become this big and I will become this big. And so often we are so self-centered and so focused on what we want and how we're going to get it that it totally consumes our world and causes us to manipulate in situations for that to happen. So there's many reasons why we want to do that. And, uh, and, and our fundamental fallen nature is selfish. I think our default position for all of us would say is that if we were left to our own devices, we could be selfish or self-indulgent, focusing on our own needs and our own passions and our own desires. And why is that? It's because often we want to be in control. We want to be in control of our own lives and we want to often be in control of the lives of others because that's how we feel safe. And if you've looked or listened to the messages over the last two or three weeks where we've talked about, um, where we've talked about betrayal, um, we can see that sometimes our behaviour is such that we're trying to keep ourselves safe. If we can control everything around us, 
it will help us to feel safe. And therefore, if we've been betrayed, so sometimes a woman who's been betrayed by a man may no longer trust men at all. And a man who's been betrayed by a woman may not trust any woman. And therefore, we build up defences around ourselves to control it, our situations because we don't want to feel those feelings again or go into another situation where we lack trusting people. And so when we get into situations like that, we will try to control and manipulate things and twist things so that they happen in the way we want them to. Why? Because it makes us feel safe, because it's a coping mechanism that we've developed. And we might not even see it as that, but that's often what it is. There's many examples in scripture where a person who gets their own way has set in motion a whole catalogue of disasters. Why? Because self-centeredness does not look at consequences. So when I'm trying to get what I want today in my life, I am not thinking about what will this look like in a week's time or a month's time or a year's time and how will it affect the people around me. All I'm focusing on is me and my need and my desire. And so self-centeredness and demanding our own way often doesn't look at consequences and causes a catalogue of disasters. There's many examples in scripture, but I'm just going to pick on one simply because it's easy. Um, And you think of the story of David and Bathsheba. So David, it says, it was in spring and David was supposed to be off at war, but he didn't go. He stayed at home. And so as he was getting up from his afternoon snooze, He looked out and he saw this beautiful woman bathing and he sent someone to inquire of her and to bring her to his chamber and he slept with her and he made her pregnant and then he decided he had to try and cover this up. So he sent for the woman's husband, Uriah, who was out on the battlefield, who was doing what he was supposed to be doing as a soldier and called him in and tried to get him to sleep with his wife so that he would think it was his pregnancy. But when Uriah came in and David spoke with him and got him drunk and tried to send him home, he refused to go home. Uriah had integrity. He said, no, my fellow soldiers are fighting and living in hardship. I'm not going to go home to my home comforts. And he slept at the gate. And because David couldn't persuade him and manipulate him, he sent Uriah back to the battlefield and told Joab, to send him into the fiercest part of the battle and then draw the soldiers back so he would be killed. And that's what happened. When David got up from his afternoon snooze, do you think that was going to be how his thoughts and decisions on that day were going to end up? I'm sure he didn't. Self-centeredness does not consider the consequences further down the line. All it focuses on is me and mine, and it gets this big in our world that we, we follow through, and that's what he did. And in contrast to Uriah, who had integrity, Jesus is our ultimate example. He said, not my will, but yours. Even if what I want is sound and not adulterous, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. If David was doing what he should have been doing on that day, that would have never happened. If he'd gone to war like he should... And as I was pondering this whole idea of um, demanding our own way and this story of David, it reminded me of that scripture in Matthew, which says, but I tell you this, that if anyone so much as looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery 
with her in his heart. And I started thinking along those lines then. What's the connection between what we think and what we do? Because there is a connection there. There's many reasons why our self-centeredness is demanding and why we provoke others in our love for them. And we need to work out how we can change that in our lives. So I want to try and help us this morning to understand how that operates in what goes on in here and what goes on in here. Because if we don't understand ourselves, we can't change anything. We've got to understand what the Bible says about our mind and about our heart. And so um, I looked then, it, it took me to how Jesus, how God describes how we should love him. And in Mark, it says this, and I'm just going to come in at verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I thought about those four things, and I thought they are so interrelated And yet, God separates them out into four things. Why? Because there's something peculiar about each one. However, they are codependent, and you can't separate them. But I'm only going to focus on two this morning. Um, Heart means cardia, and heart is that deep core within ourselves. It's the thoughts and feelings that come from the mind, but actually are centred in our core. (coughs) Things that are established and things that are certain. Soul means breath. Mind means imagination, understanding, thoughts, feelings, emotions. And strength means um, power and ability. You can see quite clearly there that they go two together and two together. And the two I want to focus on is heart and mind. These two are so codependent that if we don't understand how they operate in our lives, we can't change anything. We cannot change anything. How is it that what happens in our mind affects the deep inner core of who we are? It's so important. And so we see that... (coughs) Sorry. Um, Think back to that scripture then in Matthew... If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So how do these two work together and how do they influence? So our brain is the most powerful organ in our body. It is incredible how powerful our brain is. Our brain can control and manipulate not just what we think, but physically how we feel, mentally how our emotions are. Our brain is so powerful. And over my life, having worked as as a health professional, I have realised the power of the brain over the body, over the thoughts, over the mind. You can have thoughts in your head that actually work out as a physical ailment in your body. You can cause your blood pressure to go up because of thoughts and anxieties in your head. There is such a strong connection between the two and we have to understand how they operate. And the mind, here we, the mind is split in two and it's the facility for the conscious. So our will, our intellect and our emotions. But the heart is the facility for the subconscious. So our deep core of our thoughts and feelings and our mind, who we are, what we stand for, what makes us 
um, put down a foundation or a framework in our life. So we've got the conscious and we've got the subconscious. So what happens then in our mind? In our mind, we have reactions. We make decisions. We live in the now. We're always active. So when you woke up this morning, and even when you were asleep, your mind was active. But when you woke up this morning, you made decisions. You were totally in the now. You were aware of where you were and what you were doing. Your mind was active. You started making decisions and then you reacted to them. So you clearly got out of bed and got washed and dressed because I can see that. You probably had some breakfast. So your, your mind is where we react and we make decisions. And if we only use our mind to react and make decisions, then often our reactions and our decisions will not be right. So then how do they work together? Just look at the heart. So our heart stores experiences, our subconscious mind stores experiences and hungers and desires. When I um, was a a new Christian after three years, I knew God was calling me to to go overseas. And for a year... A whole year, it was like a pain inside of me. You could not have stopped me going. It was in my heart. It was in my desires. I had a hunger, a longing, a yearning for it. And I knew that it was driving me and compelling me. That's what happens in your heart, not in your mind, in your heart. So we store our experiences, both good and bad, in our heart. And that's why David said, God created me a clean heart. Because we only want good experiences in our heart. Because if we keep bad experiences in our heart, then they will taint our heart. And so we store experiences. We make resolutions in our heart. Um, um, and, And our convictions and our beliefs and our certainties should be in our heart. If your salvation is in your head, you will, in your mind, you will keep flipping in and out of whether it's true or not. Only those things which are really rooted in our core and established in our heart and we are convicted on are the things that we can stand on in life. And it's where resolutions take place. So how do these things actually um, work together okay so in our mind we listen but in our heart we hear listening doesn't change anything Jesus said those who have ears to hear not those who have ears to listen there's a difference between listening and hearing listening doesn't change anything you can sit here you could have listened to everything we've done today and you can go out there and you can have your lunch and you've forgotten someone says what was the preach about and they say, oh I can't remember so you listened but you didn't hear because hearing changes things when we hear something it brings about change because Jesus said if those who have ears to hear will be able to understand. So what's the next thing then? In our mind, we react, but in our heart, we ponder. Mary pondered all these things in her heart. She didn't ponder them in her mind. Our mind is very reactive. And those of you who are quick-tempered will know that. It doesn't take much to get you to react to something that somebody has said or done or you've seen or you've heard. And so in our mind we react, but actually in our heart we reflect 
and we ponder. Mary pondered all these things in her heart. What did she do? She took it on board. She allowed it to pass her mind into her heart to really be able to understand. It's a deeper level of understanding of what God was doing. In our mind we learn, but in our heart we change. Learning doesn't change anything. You can have a PhD. You can have 10 PhDs if you want. It doesn't change you, but it will store up knowledge. And knowledge on its, by itself doesn't change us when it's not applied. So change only happens when what we have in our mind goes into our heart and it's taken to a deeper level. In our mind we decide, but in our heart we're transformed. And so um, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Not a man thinketh in his mind, as a man thinketh in his heart. So when something has become a certainty in our heart, and that's who we are, that's how we present ourselves. Proverbs says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. What is in our heart will reflect who we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Not out of the abundance of the mouth. So what has settled into your deep inner core is what will come out of your mouth. Now, sometimes what comes out of your mouth is out of your mind because your mind reacts. But actually, when you get to know a person, you'll know that what, they are, what is in their inner core by how they speak So if everything they say is tainted with negativism or everything they say is tainted with bitterness or everything they say is tainted with anger, you know that's what's in the heart because otherwise it wouldn't be coming out of the mouth. And and James says that our tongue is like a fire and you can't stop it. So we can't deceive ourselves to think that what comes out of our mouth is not in our heart. It will be and it'll be tainted by everything that we say and the way that we behave. So bearing all this in mind then, let's just have a bit closer look at the heart and the mind then. So the mind is the gateway to the heart and the heart is the framework for the mind. So the golden rule is if you don't want it in your heart, don't have it in your mind. Because the mind is a gateway into the heart. If you don't want it in your heart... Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Therefore, what I put in my mind needs to be clean. The Bible says, think on these things. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, think on these. Why do we want to think on these? Because the mind is going to put them into the heart and we want to put in the heart what is good and right because it's in our core. It's in our makeup. It's who we are. And so we need to understand that. So just looking at the mind for a moment then, one of our ultimate freedoms that we all have is to choose where we will allow our mind to dwell. You and I both have responsibility to decide where we're going to let our mind dwell. You can allow your mind to dwell on anything you like, but will it do you good? Will it make you more like Jesus? And you can switch off the telly. You can stop that conversation. You can turn away. You can change things. When you realise the impact of what we see and hear is going to have on our behaviour and going to have on our hearts. So in our mind then, where we lodge information, 
which is going to be responsive and reactive in situations and circumstances where we listen but might not hear. What does the Bible say? The Bible says it needs transforming. Be ye transformed, therefore, by the renewing of your mind because your mind is a gateway. It has to start up here. And we have to go back and look at what is in our mind and how it's having an impact on us. Our emotions are not stable. Anybody agree with me? Our emotions are not stable. Don't make decisions based on your emotions. They are not stable. Feelings are not facts. I might feel bad, but it's not a fact. So we need to make sure that um, what is happening in our mind is actually under our control and not make decisions when our mind is unstable. Dallas Willard said, feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. They are absolutely disastrous masters. So looking at then the framework for our heart, what does the Bible say about that? Well, it says that it reflects who we are. As I said, a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the soul. Uh, Sorry, um, reflects the real person. And Proverbs says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So in our heart, it reflects who we are. Our heart speaks the truth. Matthew says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So whether what is in your heart is truth or not truth, it's going to determine what you say. Therefore, we need truth in our heart. If we've got truth in our heart, then we will speak truth, not only to ourselves, but to the world around us and to situations. The heart also, it says, holds our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your, heart, there your heart will be. We need to make sure our treasure is worthy of being in our heart. If it's not worthy of being in our heart, then it's going to bring destruction to us because our heart is our core. It's who we are. Our heart also stores instructions. My child, never forget the things I taught you. Store your commands where? In your heart. Store them in your mind and you'll forget them. Store them in your heart and they become part of your foundation. If we have God's instruction stored in our heart, you can face anything. You can face anything because you've got God's instruction in your heart. So in any situation, under any circumstance, you've got something to bring out of your heart. Store, it says... So store up the things that I've told you and I've commanded you. If you don't read the word of God, you've got nothing to put in your storehouse. Your heart is a storehouse. It should be a storehouse of the truth of the word of God so that whenever you need it, you've got it in any situation, in any circumstance that you face in life. You only have to read just... you only have to read books about people who have suffered amazing things, William Verbrandt or any of these people who have suffered incredibly for Christ and you realise the strength of the word of God in their life and how it carries them through any given situation. And so our heart contemplates answers. Proverbs said, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Mary pondered all these things in her heart heart and the 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 good thing about pondering things in your heart is that it gives you time to get to the truth and it gives you time to think carefully before you speak and the heart as well needs guarding proverbs 4 above all else i can't get away from this scripture over this last 12 months above all else guard your heart why 
because everything you do is going to flow out of it. So can you see that your mind is a gateway to your heart, your heart is a framework for the mind, and if you don't fill your heart with good things, with truth, and put that into your core, then your core is going to become contaminated. And your core is not going to give you what you need in your relationship with God. We have to guard it. And we have to submit to the transforming of our mind. Many of us have got mindsets that we have built up over years and years and years and years because of circumstances that we've lived in or cultures or families or difficulties or whatever. And we've formed a mindset because of that. But actually, our mind needs to be fixed on Christ. Have the same mind as who? Christ, the Bible says. If we have his mind, then that will feed into our heart. David said, give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I need to, and we all need to go back over our lives and see where our mind has actually taken on mindsets that actually um, have raised themselves up, the Bible says, against the knowledge of God. Anything that... um, I can't remember his name, but he says this. He says, you should not have a thought in your mind that God doesn't have about you. You should not have a thought in your mind that God doesn't have about you. Why? Because if you do, you've got something raised up in your mind against the knowledge of God. And we have to bring the strongholds, the Bible calls them, and we have to bring them down so that our mind is filled with the knowledge of God, which then begins to saturate our heart. Transform our mind, guard our heart. If David had thought when he first looked at Bathsheba and captured what was in his mind, that whole thing would have never happened. We find that so hard because we like to indulge our mind and we don't like to be disciplined. But if David had stopped at that point, it wouldn't have happened. So what am I, why am I saying this? Because the kind of love that that um, is expressed in Corinthians 13 is a love that comes from the heart. It's not a love that comes from the mind. And because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks in order to love, as Corinthians 13 says, we've got to have that right ingredients, if you like, in our hearts that's unmovable and unshakable. When I was walking through the camps, I was thinking, God, what have I got to offer? What have I got to offer? And I just, even my pockets are empty, God. What have I got to offer? How can I express the love of God to these people when I can't even speak their language? What else have I got in order to do that? If what I've got in my heart isn't the love of God, that's what will come out. Whatever is in your heart is what's going to come out. And as believers, we have a responsibility to to read God's word and to fill ourselves up with him. Transformation is a daily thing. That's why we need to be in the word every day. That's why we need to be praying every day. That's why we need to find some part of our day when we can come before God. Dallas Willard says this. Dallas Willard is one of my heroes. And he says this, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it is true. We only really believe on things that we act as if that's true. 
We can say we believe all number of things, but actually, what are you outworking? What am I outworking in my life that is proof of what I believe? What am I walking in? How am I showing that? David said this. He said, um, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, what my heart instructs me. If you have got God in your heart and truth in your heart, even at night, in your dreams, You will have visions and dreams, the Bible says. Even in your dreams, your heart is going to instruct you either for good or for harm. If we want our heart to instruct us, then we need to be sure that what is in our heart is sure and true and unshakable because that is what's going to come out. You know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. I'm only as strong as my weakest link. If my weakest link is my bitter embitteredness, that's as strong as I am. And we need to remember that if we allow our minds to run wild in any given situation and never submit it to the transforming, transforming work of God, then our hearts have got nothing to work on. Your heart is what's going to hold you firm. Your heart is what's going to reveal truth to you if we transform our mind and guard our heart and strengthen our framework of our mind, then who we become will be played out in how we act and not in self-seeking. Jesus said, and I finish with this, Jesus said he doesn't want us to do what he does. He wants us to become like him. Because when we become like him, we will naturally do what he does. And so often we focus on the do what he does the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And don't get me wrong, because I want to see those too. But actually, they will come out of who we are when we choose to become more and more like him. Because the love of God will be in us. And that is what will... You squeeze us and that is what will come out as a natural consequence because we guard our heart and we transform our mind. Amen. Amen.